Let's open with prayer. God, thank you for this day, for the beauty of it. This is the day you've made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you corporately today. Within our midst here, within our midst in our services, there are people who come today in hopeless situations, in desperate situations, in just downright sad situations in their families. God, I pray that they might come in here today experiencing your Holy Spirit and your presence in a way that they've never experienced before. I pray that you would be real to them for the first time. Go before us as we continue to worship you. May what we do here be pleasing in your sight. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, I won't do the Mr. Rogers sing-along, but I will just say that... Uh, uh, well, I'll say thank you, and I will say, uh, look out. <laughs> Eric and I might, might get you back uh, sooner or later when you're least expecting it. Uh, I am happy that, though, that all of you folks here are, are now paying for my health care, though. That, that, I, that makes me happy. So... Uh, it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood, isn't it? <laughs> no doubt. Um, today we kick off a new series, and I've titled this series, Looking for a Good Church. On our Connect cards that we get, I, just week after week after week, when it says, I guess it's in the top right-hand corner, what brought you to this church today or something, People will say, we're looking for a great church. We're looking for a great church. We're hoping to find a great church. And so I thought it might be a good idea to do a series on what a great church is. This first week we're going to look at, we're going to talk about a church as being a place where you can connect with God. And then over the next four weeks, we're going to be on this journey of exploration trying to discover, okay, what is a great church? Does one exist? What, what is a great church? What makes a church great? So next week I decided what we're going to do is we're going to line up some school buses out here. When you come in, you'll see them. And we're going to load up on those school buses and we're going to go riding around this community however long it takes, till we find a great church. And then we're going to get off the buses and we're going to go in and we'll worship there. We won't have to worry about this building. Actually, we're probably not going to do that. 
Um, something about separation of church and state. We're going to look at what the Bible says about a great church because that's our foundation for everything. And your big idea for today is the big idea that you can expect for the next four weeks during the series. The big idea is this, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission carried out with great compassion will grow a great church that will glorify a great God. Is that enough greats? I'd love to have one more, but you know how I love alliteration, and there we... Next week, we're going to look at the Great Commission, and then in a couple weeks out, we'll look at the Great Compassion from Matthew chapter 25, and on the final week of this series, that would be the 23rd of... March. It happens to be the weekend that we that those of us who are in Alpha have our Alpha Holy Spirit weekend. So they won't be here as as part of that on that final week. Oh, by the way, I could tell you this if you won't tell anybody else. Promise. That'll be our last week in this building. We plan to be out there on the thirtieth of March. So mark your calendars. 10-10 will be the time. Okay? We're splitting the difference. I didn't want to hear uh, hoo-ha-har from both services, so we're doing it right in the middle, you know. Uh, but on that week, we're going to talk about a great commitment, what you can do to make a great commitment. But today, we're looking at the great commandment. As we talk about a great church, we need to understand what that really means. What do I mean when I say a great church? Well, I'm talking about great people because a church is made up of people. And if a church is made up of people, then a great church must be made up of great people. Any of you ever go to vacation Bible school? You ever heard of vacation Bible school? Some of you around grew up in the church, so I imagine you do. We call it VBS or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I went there too. Um, I think I was required to. My grandparents who raised me kind of looked at it as uh, free childcare, I guess, for a while. They'd get me out of the house. I don't honestly remember a lot about VBS. Uh, I know the snacks were awful. Um, I, I just I do remember going, but and when I look back on VBS, I remember that I learned a ton of stuff. Didn't realize it at the time, but I learned a lot of stuff about Jesus. I learned a lot of stuff about God, who they are, why they're important to me. Didn't make any sense then, but as I got older, I could look back on that. And I remember this one year in particular, we were studying the church, capital C church, not, not the church that, where the vacation Bible school was being held, but church, big church, church around the world, church universal. And we must have been looking at the book of Acts. I don't know. I have no idea. But when you go through Scripture, that seems the place to, to turn to look at what is the church and how does it develop and all that. And we did this little thing with our hands. You know what I'm talking about? 
Well, empty your hands. I'll turn back this way. And, and we took our hands and we interlocked our fingers like this. Remember? Interlock your fingers like this. And then you close it up. And then there's, you put your two index fingers up, not like Satan horns, but like this. And, um, and that made a steeple, of course, right? You remember when churches had steeples, don't you? Some of them still have steeples. Uh, but, and then we would say, here's the... And... Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was the stupidest little thing. But look around you. Who do you see? You see people, don't you? The church is made up of people. The church is not the steeple. The church is the people. So how do you grow a great church? You don't need a steeple to be a great church. Or we'd be totally out of the ballpark on that one. You need people to be a great church. Church is not about buildings. It's not about programs. It's not about pastors. It's about people, great, great people. And here's what I know about you guys. From the little bit I know you, I've got to know you over some time here, we have some great people in this church. We do. We have some great people. I'm trying to devise some way that I can introduce you to some of those great people over the next three weeks. Video or something so that, I mean, I couldn't require somebody to be in three services so I can introduce them to you, but we can do it on video and they can be in all three services. You'd be amazed at some of the stories people have, some of the places they came from. We've been on this journey building this church here this renovation church, for about three and a half years. And if you're a first-time guest, you probably need to know that what we're doing is just in the infancy stages. We're just getting started as a church. For some of us that have been leading this thing, it seems like it's been a whole lot longer than three years sometimes, but it's just been a very short period of time when you think about the scheme of church history. We started this church on June the 10th, 2010, with eight people in our living room. We were not real creative people, but we thought we needed to have a name for this thing. So we called it Living Room Church. Isn't that great? And our formal documents and our corporate documents and the contribution statements that you get still to this day say LRC Ministries, Inc., DBA Renovation Church, Living Room Church Ministries. That's where that came from in case you ever wondered. So we're pretty young in the whole scheme of things in terms of the church. What we want to look at as we carry on is, is what it takes to be a great church, though. What's it going to take it for us to be a great church? Church. But what we're really looking at is not how do we become a church of great programs. I've said since the beginning, I don't want programs. The smorgasbord of programs is out there in the churches. Go there if you want those programs. 
go there. We'll, we'll love you and, you know, we won't be mad at you or anything. Go there if you want the programs. We don't want to be a church of great staff. We don't want to be a church of a great uh, tech and graphics art, graphic arts department. We don't want to be a church even of great worship music or anything like that. Instead, what we're talking about is how do we become a church of great people? Great people. And when I look at you and I shake hands with you and hug you before or after the service, I have great hope already that God's already doing something great in building this into a great church. But if a great church is made up of great people, then the question is, how do you, how do I, how do we become great people? How do we get to that point? Well, what we have to do is we have to grow together. We have to study the things that the Bible says are great. The Bible's our standard, so we want to see what the Bible says is great, not what uh, Billy Graham says is great, or Andy Stanley says is great, or Rick Warren says is great, or whoever else says is great. What does the Bible say is great? And today we're going to look at the first of four things that the Bible calls great. It's called the great commandment. What is the great commandment? Well, we've taught on this before, I think twice in our three and a half years. Some of you that have been around may have heard that, that teaching. We used it this morning. We dedicated a, a young child, and we used it as part of that dedication service. It has its origins in, in the Jewish scriptures, the Torah. And you know the story that we're getting at today with the great commandment and Jesus. Jesus was teaching and some smart guy in religious law came up to him, and, and the Bible says that they were trying to trap him. They asked him the question, we, ha we have all these hundreds of commands, Jesus. Which one is the greatest? And this is what Jesus replied. We find it in Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 34. In this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for faith and for life. So listen to God's Word. Uh, 22, Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, that's one group of, uh, of these smart Jewish people, and the Pharisees, that was the legalistic group of these smart Jewish people, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him. He tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Well, that kind of shut them down. 
I think the great commandment is great enough that I wanted to make it your memory verse for today. Memory verse? Did he say memory verse? Has he lost his ever-loving mind? I can't memorize Scripture. I'm too old, too young, too weak, too, you know. Of course you can memorize Scripture. You can memorize Scripture just like you memorize Scripture, six of them, when we were looking at the Apostles' Creed back in last spring. You'll have to do it just like we tell you to do it, and you can memorize it. And why is that important after all? Well, there's four statements I said in the Bible that the Bible calls great. I think it's important that we not only read those, but we learn them. We need to know what those four statements are. We need to be able to recall them at the drop of a hat. So the great commandment is this. It's on your screen here. You can read it with me. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. I don't hear you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. I told you it's important to say the address at the or address at the beginning and at the end. Both. I grew up memorizing Scripture, and I had no idea where it was in the Bible. I mean, I knew a lot of verses, but I didn't know where to find them. So I think it's real important that we know where to find them. So anytime you're memorizing Scripture, say the address at the beginning and say it at the end of the verse. So that's why I have it in... Oh, they took it off, didn't they? Can you say it anyway? Go through here. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Very good. Let's take something else away. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Now it gets a little more difficult. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Matthew 22. 
37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22:37. Okay. Matthew 22:37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Here comes the test. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. And you said you couldn't do it. If you will do that every day this week, and we gave you a little yellow card that some of you were cheating with. Um, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, if you'll take that little yellow card and put it at, in your visor, and you stop at a red light, pull it out and look at it, put it on your mirror in your bathroom, put it uh, uh, on the refrigerator is a good place. Every time you open up that refrigerator, you see it. Someplace, post it someplace where you'll see it. And just say it several times a day this week. You'll have that verse committed to your heart. Nobody can take it away from you. And the Bible, again, says this is great. And it makes you great. All the other commandments, it says at the end of that scripture that we read, all the proclamations of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And in answering this question, Jesus kind of lumps them into one, doesn't he? There's two, but he really lumps them into one. We've talked about this many times before. He says, love God and love others. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. That's what makes you great. He says you'll be called great if you do that. Two powerful, direct, amazingly powerful Commands in these three little verses from Matthew chapter uh, 22 can make the difference in your life, can make the difference in this church. These two verses are, three verses actually, are the beginning steps for living a great life from here on out. Why? Those of you that are in Alpha heard this this past week. Why is that important? Because your relationship with God, your ongoing healthy relationship with God is determined by how much and how able you are to connect with God on a daily basis. If you're able to tune in to God, if you're able to hear God, if you're able to sense Him leading you, His leading you, 
And if you're able to connect with him on a regular basis, your Christian life, it says, is going to be great. Great. As a matter of fact, for me, the times that my Christian life were not great were times when I was out of contact with God. My own choosing. I wasn't hearing from God. Here's the deal. People, people say to me, that somebody said to me, uh, uh, it wasn't last week, so it was a week before last, somebody said, uh, you know, I, I just don't hear from God. I just, I just can't hear from God. God is always speaking to you. He never stops speaking to you. He's always speaking to you. You may not be tuned in to Him, but He's always speaking. I've got this Sirius XM radio in my car. And when I get in and crank it up, the radio comes on. And I'm listening, you know, driving, get to where I'm, I'm, I'm going. I turn the car off, open the door, get out, and the radio stops. Well, that doesn't mean that they stopped broadcasting. They're still broadcasting. It's in a satellite somewhere going out to who, who knows where, the NSA somewhere, you know. They're, they're getting that signal somewhere. I'm just not picking it up anymore. It's not like they say, oh, George turned off his car, so we, we're going to stop broadcasting. Let's just shut down. And they get back in the car and they turn it back on and start broadcasting to me. That's not the way it works, and that's not the way it works with God either. It's the same way in your spiritual life. You may have put yourself in a position where you can't hear from God. That doesn't mean He's not speaking. God's speaking to you all the time. So what I'm talking about today, not only how do you live out these commandments and, and have God call you great, but we're also talking about how do I live a dynamic and ongoing, everyday, intimate relationship with God? How do I do that? I think it's worth our taking some time to pursue. I think it's worth hearing from God on a daily basis. So let's start out by looking at three ways we can love God. Three ways we can love God. First, honor God with the best part of your week. Honor God with the best part of your week. You say, God, you're so important to me that I'm going to carve out the first thing on my schedule this week for you. And you're already doing that. You're here today. We call it worship. You come together for worship, corporate worship. There's power in coming together to worship. There's a, a synergy in, in this coming together and, and worshiping. It's a place where you can come and you can center yourself each week. And you can sing the songs and you can see one another, which is very important too. Renovation is a church, we say, where you can belong before you believe. Renovation is a church where you can belong before you believe. What do we mean by that? What we mean is, I don't care who comes in those doors. We welcome everybody to come in those doors. I don't care what their baggage is that they bring with them. I don't care what their lifestyle is. I don't care if they come in drunk, sober, 
half-dressed, not dressed, whatever. They're welcome in here. Why? Because they're not going to hear the gospel message outside. But if they come in here, they might hear something that might actually transform their lives. Belonging. Let's make them feel loved. Let's make them feel wanted and accepted. Then the belief comes. So many churches want you to clean up. You know, got to wear a three-piece suit and tie and, you know, have your hair done. All before, uh, and used to be ladies would have to wear a hat before you could go to church. For heaven's sakes. The number one complaint that I get when I invite people, I don't know about you, when I invite people to come to church is, well, I don't have anything to wear. I hate that. I mean, I, I, it breaks my heart. That's what I mean. That they would say that. I mean, you know how we dress. I'm dressed up today because we did a dedication. But there's the Muppets. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we can certainly dress down in a hurry. Uh, flip-flops, shorts, T-shirts. What? They need to see us dressed like they might be dressed. If you want to wear a three-piece suit, you're welcome too. But you don't have to wear a three-piece suit to come in the door. Belonging before believing. And all those things we're talking about are important to worship. Certainly, certainly if, if I'm speaking, I can't say about the other people that, are, that speak here sometimes, but certainly if I'm speaking, you get a somewhat relative message. Uh, you get encouragement. You get accountability. And maybe you see what next steps you could take, and maybe even you can get challenged to begin to take that next step during the coming week. Hopefully those things are taking place. That's what we do here on Sunday mornings. That's what we do here on Monday nights. And you're saying, God, I want to give you the first part of my week. And not only are you serving God, but you're also serving other people. Now, we've talked about this in the past too, but if you're at a, a, a season in your worship life where it's kind of dry, it's kind of, oh, I'll go to church, but... Uh, even if it's here, I'm just kind of... Why don't you sign up to serve somewhere in church? Be on one of the teams. Go find a team leader. Uh, we're going to be introducing those people again, reintroducing those people as we go back into this uh, new building thing so that you'll know who they are. Go see them and say, hey, I've got a passion for parking cars in the parking lot. And we'll make sure you get to do that. Serve. When you're serving others, you're also serving God. The second way to love God is honor God with the best part of your day. The best part of your day. One time a week we come together for worship. Seven times a week we go to Him for that relationship. And what we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm, I'm giving you this best part of my day. Psalm 5, 3 says it this way. In the morning, O Lord, I hear, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. We listen for God to speak. First thing in the morning, we pray to Him, 
and we listen for him to speak. This is, this is a daily devotion. That's, we've talked about that many times, a daily devotion. Andy talked about it last week in terms of needing a daily devotion. It's a time that you set aside. I always say begin with 10 or 15 minutes. I noticed Andy said 20 minutes. Start with 10 or 15 minutes, and, and as you experience that, see if the relationship doesn't grow and you want to spend a little more time with him. Let it grow from 10 or 15 minutes. Doesn't matter. Set aside that time. Read your Bible, pray, and then listen for God to speak to you. Tell him, I'm here, God, because I want to give you the best part of my day. And when you're doing that, what you're really saying is, God, I want to give you my entire day. Because everything you do is kind of, uh, kind of flows out of that. Now, I like to do my devotion in the morning. I, I've switched. I used to do it in the evening. I had a, a very logical reason for doing it in the evening. Um, I thought, well, I'll read my Bible, I'll pray, I'll listen for God, I'll go to sleep, and that way I can get eight full hours of sin-free living. It's the only way I'd probably get that. But now, because my day's gotten a little complicated, I've had to move it to the morning. I find out if I don't do it early, and it might be at 2 o'clock in the morning, it might be at 5 o'clock in the morning, it might be at 9.30 in the morning, but in the morning as I'm starting my day, I have to give that time to Him. Or I just never do it the rest of the day. Things start happening, and, and before, the, before you know it, the day's gone, isn't it? And you're lost. Give the best part of your day, whatever that part might be. If you're groggy and grouchy and grumpy in the morning, even after three cups of coffee, then maybe the afternoon is when you're best. Give him that best part of the, your day. That's the key, the best part. And we want to help you with this here at Renovation Church. A couple of weeks ago, a month ago, I gave you a website. It's uh, www.htb.org slash B-I-O-Y, not B-Y-O-B, B-I-O-Y. This is a website that comes from Holy Trinity Brompton, the church in London that uh, began the Alpha program. And they have this wonder, how many of you do have signed up for that? Anybody here? Well, we had a, quite a few at first service that told me they did. It comes to your computer, it comes to your smartphone every morning. I know it comes about 2.30 because I've been up at 2.30 and, and it's bing, and, you know, the, but they're, what, five hours ahead of us too. So uh, it's there for you when you wake up in the morning. You don't have to go searching through things. It's there, and some of us have to have that. Another thing you can do is you can sign up for a course that I've, a class that I've run here a number of times. It's called Habits of the Christ Follower, and in Habits... Uh, Actually, people signed up from the first service. Uh, what we do in that course is take a look at what habits would you have as a Christ follower? Well, somebody along your way has told you you need to read the Bible. I mean, we say that from the pulpit a lot, don't we? Read your Bibles, pray, 
And then we send you on your merry way, and we never tell you how to do it. So what we're looking at there is how do you read your Bible? How do you study your Bible? How do you memorize Scripture? How do you meditate on Scripture? How do you apply Scripture to your life? We look at prayer. What is prayer? How do you do prayer? How does it look? What's it, what, how, you know, how do you get into it? What is quiet time? Was well, quiet time different than prayer time? Is it different than reading my Bible? What's quiet time all about? We look at tithing. We look at fellowship, a coming together with one another. All those things are habits that the Christ follower should develop. So we intentionally set about looking at Scripture to see what Scripture says about those five different areas. And I think... I think the class runs six or seven weeks um, in, in the evenings. And you'll see that announcement come up after we get to the new building. Sometime this spring we will do it. But if you're interested, this sheet is going to be on the info table back here after the service. If you would be interested in that, uh, please sign up, and I'll make sure that you're at the top of my list in terms of getting the word out to you. The third way to show your love for God is... Oh, here it comes. Honor God with the best of your finances. If you've been around here any time at all, you know we don't do much talking about finances. We don't talk about, you know, uh, money much at all. We've had to mention it a few times here with the building, but other than that, we really, we really don't. The key word here again is best. The best of your finances. I can tell you, from experience, with all authenticity and sincerity, that the best way to be financially better off at the end of 2014 than you were at the end of 2013 is to put God at the top of your financial list. It's that simple. I can't give you the mathematical equation for it, I've just seen it work over and over and over and over and over again. My life and another's, other people's lives. Give God the best of your finances. Before you give anything to anybody else, give to Him. Say, God, you gave me these finances. I'm going to give back the best part to you. Set aside off the top 10%. The Bible calls that a tithe. Am I making this up? No. I'm, uh, if you look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 14, there's a whole uh, conversation there with God and the Israelites about tithing, what it means, how to do it. And all that he's saying is when you put God first, you're saying, God, I trust you with everything else during the entire year. I'm trusting you with this, and I know you'll come through. That's what tithing's about. You want God to be first. God, I want to honor you. I want to live out these commands. I want to be called great in your kingdom. So I'm going to do this. At Renovation Church, we're committed to helping you with... Uh, with your financial situation. 
We, we run a course called uh, Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey. Phyllis Atwood went out to Memphis or Nashville or wherever Dave Ramsey is and spent a week out there in intensive training. Uh, she is our, our uh, lead person here for Financial Peace. She can't wait to start another Financial Peace course. Uh, it'll begin again after we get to the, to the new building. But there's a sign-up sheet here. If you're at all interested, this, we don't have a time or a date or anything yet, but if you're interested in that course or finding out more about that course, sign this, and I'll make sure that Phyllis uh, gets the information to you before anybody else. It's kind of nice to be on the, on the cutting edge, isn't it? Do you need some help with your finances? Are you one of those people that is, uh, you find yourself in debt head over heels and you just don't know how in the world you'll ever get out? You can't see the way out? That's what financial peace starts you on a course of working your way out of that. We had a couple, a young couple in this church, John and Paige Rankin. John, stocky guy, Paige, not anymore, she's like, eh. uh, they took financial peace, and I remember John, they were in my small group in financial peace the first time around, and uh, John was not going to do a budget, he just simply, uh-uh, nope, I'm not doing a budget, I've never done a budget, I'm not going to do a budget, but finally he did a budget, like the third week into this thing, he looked at doing a budget and kind of fell in love with it. It became a game for him. They looked at their financial situation. They had school loans primarily and some credit card loans and this sort of stuff, and they determined, by gosh, whatever it takes, we're going to pay these off. We want, to, we want to have a house, and we can't even begin to think about a house till we get this stuff paid off. So Paige gave her testimony at the beginning of this last financial piece, they paid off $30,000. $30,000. They didn't know that they even <laughs> made that kind of money, but they were able to pay that off by changing some things around, moving some things, and being diligent, telling their money where to go instead of letting their money tell them where to go. Paige quit working. She probably should not have quit working because last week, I visited their baby in the hospital, uh, the nice, healthy, happy young girl, Addison. You'll probably be seeing more of Addison around here. It's been a blessing for them, things that they could have never been able to do had they still had that financial burden over their head. I guess Addison's our newest renovator. When we honor God uh, with our calendars, with the first part of our week, with the first part of our day, with our finances, we also honor God by loving others. Galatians 5.12, Paul's writing to the church um, and saying this, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. He says the whole law is... is, is uh, summed up in this one verse. Now, he's not disputing what Jesus said. He's just saying, follow my logic here a little bit. Follow my logic. Paul knew that when 
When you love God, then you love what God loves. And if God loves people, God wants you to love people too. That's his logic, and he spells it out for us. So let's look at this second commandment. Three ways to love others. The first is greet others warmly. Greet them warmly. I chose this word greet because that's kind of the first thing that happens when you come here, either in the parking lot or when you walk through the door. Hopefully somebody greeted you warmly as you showed up, extended a hand or a smile at least, and um, something nice came out of their mouth. It takes a deliberate decision on your part as you get up in the morning to say, I'm today, I'm going to love others. It's not easy to, to do that in the beginning. It really isn't. This may be one of the toughest points here in this, in this whole message. You know, there's, there's two types of, you heard this whole thing, there's two types of people, the one that wakes up and says, good morning, Lord, and the other person that wakes up and says, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> but I really think there's, there's a third person that says, good Lord, not more people. I can't stand these people. Do I have to put up with these people today? And let me let you in on a little secret if you don't know this already. The world is full of people. You're going to run into people wherever you go. There are people that you're going to have to uh, interact with. Maybe you go to the place where you work and you say, gosh, this would be just the greatest place to work, the greatest job in the world, if I didn't have all these co-workers. They spoil it for me. When you say, I'm going to greet everyone warmly, what you're actually doing is you're deciding at the beginning of your day, as I said, that you're going to love other people. You're going to show love to other people. What you're doing then, just like with, with uh, loving God, is you're setting your course for your the entire day. If you can start it early in the morning, your whole... You know, you, you have choices. Somebody's nasty to you. You don't have to respond nastily, if that's a word. You just have to... I mean, you could smile at them and go right on. Some of you in here I know do that already. Our model, of course, is Jesus. And we have this great commandment scripture, but we also have another scripture in John chapter 13, verse 34, that says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. So why do we do it? Because he loved us first. If he loved us, we should be willing to love other people. If you're a Christ follower, not just a Christian sitting in the seat taking up space, if you're a Christ follower, if you're all in this thing, then you've experienced the love of Christ. And you ought to be delighted to pour that out to other people. And that means not all people. That means all people, not just the lovely people, but the unlovely people too. 
we, we can't just uh, smile at the people that smile at us, you know? We've got to smile at the ones who have that awful look on their faces. It means you've you got to greet them warmly, even those that tick you off, even those that uh, get on your very last nerve, even those that walk around with a frown on their face all day long. I mean, that's, that's a challenge for me. I love to get, I, I love to say something to them, try to get them to crack that smile, crack that face that they have. Even those people that you don't like all that much. The Bible says we have to love everybody, but it doesn't say that we have to like everybody. Thank goodness. But those people, we have to show compassion for as well. You want to try something really fun tomorrow? Start out tomorrow determined that every person you come in contact with, you're going to be cheery to them. It'll be fun. I promise you it'll be fun. Do it for a week and just see what kind of responses you're going to have. I tell you, it'll be a fun time. Decide when you walk into your office that there's going to be this warm greeting that comes out of your mouth. Not that usual grunt as you walk into your office and face your coworkers, But a genuine warm greeting. Secondly, serve others daily. In other words, it's not just talk, it's also action. Loving others and serving others, they go hand in hand with one another. As a matter of fact, around here we've said, you can serve without loving, but you cannot love without serving. You can serve without loving. We have those people at McDonald's, don't we? But you can't love without serving. It just flows out of the relationship. And serving others is just saying, gosh, I'm going to take the initiative here. You look like today you need somebody to do something for you, and I'm that person. Let me, let me do this for you. But let me ask you a serious question. This has been kind of, kind of light. Let me ask you a serious question. Do you think our community, Little River community, all the way out to Long's where we're going, would be a better place if you decided every day that you were going to commit one act of service towards somebody else. Do you think this could be a better community? It's March the 2nd today. We're 61 days into this year. There's 304 days, I think, left in this year. If you were to set your mind to, from this day to the end of the year, serving one person a day, just one person a day, that would be 304 acts of service that you could commit. Now, that sounds pretty good, but I sat down and thought, you know, if, if we joined the three services together and we multiplied that 304 times the average attendance that we have in, in the services, that's over 60,000 acts of service in our community. From a little podunk church, no steeple, in Little River, South Carolina. 
60,000 acts of kindness. Do you think that would make a difference in the community? Do you think it could? Do you think that might connect one person along the way to God? I think it can. I know it can. I know that you can do it. Third, reach out to others consistently. And I'm talking about reaching out to people that are not uh, a part of any church. Reach out to people consistently. I can't overstate how important it is to share your faith, but to do it in a loving and gentle and kind way, not to be overbearing about it. Share your faith with those who are not yet Christians. This is helping people to experience the love of Jesus that you've already experienced. It's about helping someone find their purpose. It's about helping someone find their meaning in life. It's about helping somebody experience God. It's about helping somebody to connect to this family of, that we call a church. It's about helping someone secure their eternity. It has eternal consequences. Let me challenge you to make this your mission, to reach out to others, wherever they might be. And one of the reasons that you reach out to others is because somebody must have reached out to you at some point in time. They must have reached out to you. Can you remember who that or those people were? I have a whole long line of people who are responsible for me being here today. Maybe you want to thank them. Maybe you want to kick them. I don't know. But there's people that have helped us along the way. And I'm going to challenge you to find three people, just three people that you can reach out to. A coworker, a friend, somebody down your street that you don't even know their name. They know your pet's name. They don't know your name, but, you know, you walk by. You know how that is in your neighborhood. Um, somebody that you see on the street, uh, a, a wait person in, in the restaurant that you go to, be sure to tip well. Somebody that you just talk to from time to time. You don't really know that well. Let's be people who care. We can be people who care, can we not? Colossians 4, 5 says, let's live wisely among the people that we encounter telling them about our faith. Not beating them over the head with the Bible, telling them about our faith. Remember how many times we said, I once was this way, now I'm this way, and Jesus made the difference for me. That's all you need to say. This stuff doesn't have to be hard. It can be easy stuff. Easy things like inviting them to come with you to church. Not just inviting, but bringing them with you. Go, offering to go by and pick them up. Offering to take them to breakfast before church or lunch after church. Offering to bring them to Alpha. Come and see what this thing's about. We only have one more week to jump on, but this would be a good week to jump on. It's never too late after this week. And I had, uh, I think it was two different people 
that have said to me during the, the lead up to this Alpha course, I, I, I would like to come to Alpha, but I'm not a Christian. Well, for heaven's sakes, nothing we do here is something that you have to be a Christian for. Be long before you believe. Come to Alpha. Come to Alpha. Enjoy the meal. Enjoy the friends that you'll meet. Don't worry about being a Christian. Maybe that'll take place. Maybe it won't. But we want you to come. Invite somebody and bring them with you. Loving God and loving people is neither complicated nor is it difficult. Don't go away from here thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to do all these things. I won't remember half of them. No, it's not complicated. And there's nothing hard about it at all. Just be a great person. I want you to make a decision today to love God and to love others. And you know what? I'm excited about what God wants to do in, in our church. I really am. You can already see in just three and a half years how he's moved, how he continues to move. But I'm also excited about what you're going to do. Great people grow great churches. And I want you to be great people. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission carried out with great compassion will grow a great church that will glorify a great God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this thing you call church. You're the one that thought it up. We didn't think it up. And thank you for calling us to this church that we might be a part of your kingdom work here. God, we want to be an inviting place. We want to be a place that is accepting of anyone who may come in. We want to love them. We want to love you. We want to love other people. Help us, God, to be able to do that. Help us to give the best part of all that we are to you. In Jesus' name, amen.